and welcome to Free Will and with Cardin Podcast. I'm your host, Cardin Wyckoff, wheelchair warrior and disability advocate based in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we believe in creating an accessible world strengthened by supportive allies to build inclusion and belonging. We share stories from people with various disabilities and help to break down barriers for the disability community. If you like what you hear on the episode today, please rate, review, subscribe, and follow this podcast and share it with a friend. You can DM me on Instagram at freewheeling with Cardin to let me know if you want to be a speaker on the show or let me know your thoughts on the episodes. Please download the app iAccess Life. It's a mobile app that rates and reviews places on the built environment to break down barriers and transparency on the bathrooms, interior, parking, and anytime you go into a new place. You can find iAccess Life on Google Play and the Apple App Store. Use the referral code CARDEN, C-A-R-D-E-N, my name, when signing up. Today's guest is Arthur Austin. He is a son, brother, uncle, and friend. Arthur is the founder and primary consultant of Our View. He was born in 1981 with spina bifida, and this diagnosis would present many challenges for him, including mobility being the most significant. As a result of spina bifida, Arthur uses leg braces and crutches to walk. He also uses a wheelchair at times. Although at birth, Arthur was not given the best projected outcome, now as an adult, Arthur is a living testament to know what it means to have a life and truly live. He has a passion for learning and holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from Stockton University and a master's in psychological counseling from Monmouth University. Since October 2013, Arthur has served as the executive director of Bill Jake's Place, a New Jersey nonprofit organization that creates accessible play experiences for individuals of all abilities. You can find it at buildjakesplace.org. He serves as the general manager of the Canham County, New Jersey Miracle League, a baseball league for children and adults who have disabilities. Arthur currently resides in Collingswood, New Jersey, and enjoys spending time with family and friends. He writes poetry, reads, attending concerts during non-COVID times, loves going to Broadway shows, and traveling. I look forward to interviewing Art today. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Art. Thanks for joining the podcast, Free Will with Cardin. Really excited to talk to you tonight as another fellow podcaster. So it's always great to talk to another fellow podcaster because you know the importance of great audio quality. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How's it going? It's it's going well. I live in New Jersey, so we got another round of snow earlier today. Um, Oh, goodness. So... You know, not that I was going anywhere anyway, but, you know, stuck in the house again for another day or so. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Oh, and to kick it off, wanted to just do audio description. So I'm Cardin Wyckoff. I'm the host. I'm wearing a red sweater. I am a white woman in my late 20s and I have brown hair and it's in a bun. And then behind me, I'm in my bedroom and there are plants because I am such a plant mom. I have plants all over my house and uh, then my bed. And then behind me is a cross section of a tree because I'm really into like nature stuff. Awesome. I am Art Aston. I am an African-American male in my late 30s, 39 to be exact. I am wearing a black turtleneck sweater. I have uh, brownish highlights in my hair and um, yeah, I'm digging them. Yeah, They're thank cool. you. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, I had my hair in braids for the last four weeks, so I took them out yesterday. 
So it's a little nice. curlyish, but in like an Afro style. And then in my background, I have a soft blue light that is uh, shining behind a bookshelf. And on top of the bookshelf are two African-American dolls. One is a female in a wheelchair and the other is a male that uses like braces and crutches. And then you can partially see a big picture I have on my wall that is of a beach scene with uh, lavender boats and palm trees and a little bit of sand in the ocean. <laughs> oh, that sounds really nice right now, especially yes. given the, the cold <laughs> weather. I'm in Atlanta, so it's not that cold compared to yeah. New Jersey, but I think it's cold. I don't want to go outside. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, you, you bring up a really great point. And well, first, dive into your disability and and why you do all the advocacy work that you do. And then the comment that you made when we first introed was about the weather. And I kind of want to know how the cold impacts you and your disability. So I'll give yes. you the floor. Yeah. So thank you again, Cardin, for having me on uh, your podcast. I'm very honored to be here. And you know, you were on my podcast as well. We did an interview last week, so uh, thank you for that as well. So um, I am Art Aston. I am, again, 39 years old, African-American male, and I was born with spina bifida. So uh, what that means is I had a hole in my back when I was born, and the hole was in the lower part of my back, so it impacts my mobility. So my leg muscles are very weak. I have to use leg braces that come all the way up to my thighs and also use crutches to walk. And I also use a wheelchair for mobility purposes, mostly for long distances. If I'm out at the mall or out at a park or something like that, you know, using it to get exercise, I also use the wheelchair for exercise. So yeah, I've I've been living with this disability for uh, going on 40 years this year. And it's, a lot of the times it's it's very interesting. It, it keeps me on my toes and it just, <laughs> uh, thankfully I now, as I'm a lot older, I don't have many complications from it that require surgery. Like when I was uh, younger, I had to have a lot of surgeries on different parts of my body to lengthen my legs, muscles to fix my bowel and bladder issues that I had as a result of the diagnosis I have a shunt put in because I have hydrocephalus. And so, like I said, thankfully, as I got older, those those issues kind of resolved themselves and, and as a result of surgery. So I, I haven't had surgery in quite some time. You asked about the weather. So I live in New Jersey, born and raised, lived here all my life. And winters are horrible. <laughs> uh, winters are horrible. We get a lot of storms with the high and low pressure that come up off the coast of uh, of New Jersey, and that impacts my shunt. So I get really bad headaches when hurricanes come, for example, in the spring and the summer and the fall. Thankfully, where I live, fingers crossed, we have not had any tornadoes that have hit in my neighborhood. But whenever there are those high-pressure storms that you know result in the tornadoes, I do feel a lot of pressure in my head. My muscles always ache. When uh, the weather changes, perfect example is this week in New Jersey. It was 50 degrees, I think, two days ago. And we we got uh, some places today got six or seven inches of snow. So <laughs> just having the having the whole 
fluctuation in the weather is really, really tough on my body. And it's, uh, you know, it, it makes it really rough for me to get around sometimes. And my leg muscles and back muscles often ache because of the uh, cold and the fluctuation of the weather. I totally agree with you on the weather. The cold weather impacts me significantly when I'm out. And for those joining us, uh, this Free Will with Cardin podcast, and I have muscular dystrophy. And with that, with the really cold weather, my hands, I really feel it in my hands because I just like can't move my fingers at all. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is I have trouble controlling my wheelchair. And if I don't have gloves on, then it's really a problem. But then my whole body, like I, I don't weigh that much. And because of the progressive muscle loss, I don't have a lot of cushion on me. And so mm -hmm. that also the low body weight also makes it really cold, just natural. I, I always tell my parents, I'm like, I don't like anything lower than 73 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that sounds about right. That sounds like a good, uh, a very good temperature. And I'm I know. glad you brought They're up, like, that's hot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm glad you brought up the hands though, because I have, mm -hmm. um, I have the, a similar issue, which I didn't even think about until you said that, because my hands are always in a my fingers are in a curled motion most of the time because I'm using my wheelchair or my crutches. The, the cold weather does really tighten everything up in my hands and my wrists as well. So yeah. uh, that's another another effect. Like I said, I didn't even think about mentioning that until you said it. I'm like, wow, that happens to me too. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing about having a disability, especially a, a progressive one and having the muscle weakness that I have, I don't know if this is true for you, but with the cold weather that requires layers and those layers have to come off when you go inside or else you burn up and then you have to put them on when you go outside. So it's this constant like taking on, taking off. And for me, that's exhausting. I mm -hmm. remember I was in Chicago a few years ago in the dead of winter and I was wearing like four layers, had a hat, gloves, scarf, everything, like, like face mask, eye goggles, like all of right. it. And it is it is a lot. And it was so exhausting. And I remember just being out with my friend and we were bar hopping around. And it would take, you know, it takes me like 10 minutes to put all that stuff on and off every time because I'm not very fast. So mm -hmm. it, I was like, I could not live in an extreme cold environment where that would be a requirement. So... Yeah, I definitely... I I just really stay in the house um, as much as I can in the During wintertime. The winter, yeah. <laughs> or I, I make uh, very strategic trips outside. So I mm -hmm. do, uh, you know, I'll plan my day to do a lot of things and stop at a, a bunch of different places. And then I'll go in for, you know, for a while. Yeah. So that's how I, I usually handle, handle that. Um, <laughs> unless if, like you said, if I'm out bar hopping pre-COVID days with some friends or, you know, out to dinner. Or something yeah. like that. But usually I do things in, uh, like I, I tell people I put my braces on once a day. So if <laughs> so, if you want me to do something on Thursday, you have to tell me before a certain <laughs> time. Because once I'm, once I'm back in the house, yeah, once I'm back in the house, I'm in the house. And once my braces are off, I'm definitely not coming back out. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to get into 
some of the Clubhouse sessions that you and I have both been joining. So for those that aren't familiar, Clubhouse is a new application. We understand that it's not fully accessible for low vision and deaf and hard of hearing and blind users. They're working on it. But I will say there is this huge disability club called the 15%. And Art and I have joined... Actually, Art, you're the one who told me about it. And I'm so thankful because I have just been learning so much of all these random topics that I don't usually think about in the disability community. And you can join the 15% club. It's a free app and you join it. And it's all audio right now, audio only. And you just join and you can listen in. You can raise your hand to speak. But there's notable disability influencers on these panels, all different disabilities. And so it's really cool to get to engage with those influencers and some of the role models and the people that have paved the way for our generation. And so one of the topics of discussions common in each of these rooms is about inspiration porn. And (laughs) I wanted to know, Art, given the fact that you, you and I both have physical challenges, it sounds like you do have some mobility in walking, but you also use a wheelchair for long distances. And so I kind of just want to know how people view you and when you do come across those individuals that are like, wow, Art, you're so inspiring because (laughs) you can just get around life and use your crutches and go places and you go to the grocery store and pick up food. And it's like, well, yeah, duh. Like, I got to (laughs) eat. I have to eat. That's my favorite saying. Like, yeah, I have to eat. You know, I eat like everybody else. (laughs) And kind of describe what inspiration born means to you and why it's problematic. So my understanding of inspiration porn is that uh, it's the idea that people who do not have disabilities find those who do have disabilities as being inspirational just for the fact of having a disability. So just the fact that I am disabled makes me an inspiration to other people. Uh, (laughs) And there are people who have a huge problem with that. I'm still not sure how I feel about it personally myself. As you mentioned, we were in the uh, room together about in, talking about inspiration porn. I I believe that, uh, yeah, I, I first I want to say I believe that everybody's feelings are valid. So if they feel like inspiration porn is a problem, then it's a problem for them. I'm not, I don't know if I'm okay with making a blanket statement that it's just a problem for everybody, I think is is my big distinction that I would like to make. Because I'm not sure if it's a problem for me, just because I think people, and I believe I shared this in the in the room or maybe in one of our own conversations that you and I have had, I think it's a, a thing for me. I see it as when you when someone without a disability comes up to someone with a disability and they feel like they have to say something extra besides saying hello <laughs> or have a good day or, you know, hope you're having a good day or just giving a smile and a wave, which is what they would do to anyone else that they would meet on the street. In passing, you would wave, say hi, have a good day, something to that effect. I believe that when, in my experience, I will say that people who 
don't have disabilities, when they come up to me, they feel like they have to add something else to that hello. So it often comes out in a, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you out. Oh, it's, uh, you know, oh, you're such an inspiration. Oh, that's, oh, I could never do that. I would never be able to do that. Um, (laughs) So again, just instead of saying, hi, have a good day, or do you need help with that? They feel like they have to put in something in addition to the regular everyday greeting. And I think that comes, uh, my, I would say my own interpretation of that is that it comes from a feeling of being uncomfortable around the person who has a disability. Because when I go out to the store, I don't see anybody else that's in a wheelchair. I, it's very rare. I, I live in a very small neighborhood, very small group of different towns that are very close together. I see one other guy that's in a wheelchair. Sometimes I run into him at the Target. (laughs) And that's not all the time. And I, you know, I don't go out all the time now, even less now because of COVID. But we, you know, I run into him every now and then in different, um, in the Target at different times. But then other than that, I don't see people when I go to my regular grocery store. I don't see people in wheelchairs or with other visible disabilities. So I really believe, or I don't know if I've made this up in my own, in my own mind, but I believe that people really see me as an inspiration because they don't have anything else to compare it to. They don't have anyone else that they see with a disability out shopping for food or out at the mall by themselves. So I, I do a lot of things by myself. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I go food shopping and, and clothes shopping. I, I'm by myself. I don't have you know, any nurses, aides, or any caregivers with me. So I, I think that's where the inspiration, uh, just for the fact of them seeing me driving a car, you know, they, because it's not known that people with disabilities, certain types of disabilities are able to drive cars because they don't, it's, it's not a common thing that people see. So I, I believe that, I believe that it comes from a place of, or I'd like to believe it comes from a place of empathy on their part. And just a place of not knowing what else to say because they feel like they have to add something else to a a greeting that they would give someone else. Interesting point about, you kind of said, it it first comes from a place of feeling uncomfortable, but you do, it, it sounds like, you know, people try to approach it with empathy and from a good place, because I think the problem that we face in society is that people just aren't educated on how to speak to people with disabilities. And right. and I don't know why or how it came to be that you had to treat us or talk to us any differently than, you know, someone else who doesn't have a disability. So yeah, I don't I don't really know why that is. I couldn't tell you. And you're right to the fact that you don't see people out like you out and about. And I live in a big city or a relatively big city in, in this in midtown. And I I can't count on my I can maybe count maybe two instances when I was at Target or at Kroger or Whole Foods and saw someone else using a wheelchair. Right. Like since living in the city and I've been in the city for almost 10 years. 
So yeah, it's it's very unusual. And I think that's, like you said, another reason why people don't really know how to respond or react to yeah, other individuals because, with disabilities. Yeah, I think because, you know, again, they, they have the... They don't have the the interaction. They don't have everyday interaction or a regular interaction with someone who has a disability. So it does, you know, it can cause for them to, you know, kind of panic. I guess like, oh, what do I do? What do I say? And oh, I have to, I have to shove out there that oh, they're an inspiration. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good thing to say. <laughs> and it's, you know, in my in my experience, I'm. I'm okay with it. I, I do understand the issue of those who do have an issue with the inspiration porn because like like we both said, yeah, we're at a grocery store. We have to eat, you know? So how else am I going to get my food? Or if I'm out at a restaurant or if I'm out at a concert or something like that? Yes, I like music. So <laughs> a lot of people like music. A lot of people like live concerts. So yeah, I am outside and... Uh, enjoying concerts with oh and I, I have friends too so they came with me to the concert <laughs> so that's the uh, and I have not disabled friends and right. I have disabled friends yes yes I have all kinds of friends you know <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so it's I think, a spectrum yeah. of friends that we have right. yeah so that's the other thing and it's just like they're um you know and, and even if I go someplace with my mom and it's just like you know, she's, yeah, she's not my caregiver. I live on my own. My mom is just out with me sometimes when I go to the grocery store because I can't carry a lot of things. So she might be there to help me. And we had an experience once where the the cashier was talking to my mom instead of me and asking her questions. And my mom says, um, he's your customer, not me. Like, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. Like, he drove me here. So, uh <laughs> You know, so that's that's a whole other uh, topic there with the etiquette of it all, which, uh, you know, which I think we touched on a little bit. People not being sure what to say or how to interact with those who have disabilities. Again, because I think it's uncommon for them to have interactions. So I think the more that uh, we can continue to educate people and make people aware of disabilities and what disabilities mean and the abilities of those who live with disabilities, I think it it will hopefully get better. (laughs) Yeah. And that also kind of points in the next question about the topic of Clubhouse that the other room that we were in was, how do you react in situations where you do face accessibility barriers and do you approach it from a place of advocacy or are you a jerk? I try to approach it from the advocacy <laughs> place. <laughs> Understandable. Good answer. I, I try. <laughs> I, I try to be genuine. Yeah, I try. <laughs> um, sometimes I, you know, sometimes I slip up a little bit. <laughs> but I am always, I, I try to approach things as, and, and this is very naive and foolish of me, but I, I try to approach things from the standpoint of, again, the education or the lack of education around things. So people are just not aware of things. They're not aware of what they should be doing or how things should be done or how things should be designed. I don't know how they aren't aware in the year mm-hmm. 2021, but I still like to extend that grace and empathy <laughs> to people. 
and say like, okay, so they, they just might not be aware of, of things, but it, it's, I, again, it, I think it goes back to the term special needs. There are, there are people who don't like that term because my needs aren't special. My needs are just what everybody else needs. <laughs> You know, everybody, yeah. everybody needs and wants, uh, you know, they, they have similar, everybody has, has the same needs, you know, and that can be like, everybody should be able to come in through the front door mm-hmm. as far as speaking from ex- an accessibility standpoint, you know, the ramp should not be around the back and through the kitchen <laughs> of a restaurant. It should Too many be. experiences with that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so something like that, you know, again, I try to extend that grace to them because legally they're not breaking the law because the Americans with Disabilities Act says that they have to have an accessible entrance. It doesn't say it has to be the front or the main entrance. So they do have an entrance that has a ramp. It just happens to be the ramp that they bring the deliveries in through the kitchen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they're actually, not California, the um, city of San Francisco or is working to change that. They are required for all businesses that serve people to have their primary entrance be wheelchair and fully ADA accessible. Right. Yeah. And I think one other city, I think it's Dallas, maybe Austin. Uh, one yeah, of those that other is cities so important. Texas is doing it's that. It's so important because I, I, I can honestly remember, I don't know if I told this story on my podcast yet, but I can remember way back when I was younger and uh, hanging out late at night at, at a bar that a friend of mine at the time had owned. Uh, he had two front doors that had steps. And I, again, I walk with crutches. And uh, so it wasn't a problem for me. I can get up the steps and get into the door. But one night I just asked him, I said, like, how do you get away with having two front doors with no ramp? And you're a, a bar and a restaurant and a nightclub and, and how do you get away with that? And he says, oh, no, 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 we have a ramp. And I, I told him, I said, if you tell me that your ramp is in the back where your kitchen is, I said, we're going to have a problem. We're going to have a talk. <laughs> yeah, I said, we're going to have a problem. And he said, well, I said, you're getting ready to say it's in your kitchen. And I told him, and and I was, I was friends with him at the time. I, I don't um, talk with him anymore. But I I said, I said, you have to understand what that means for somebody like me, an African-American. I said, people like my people had to come in through the kitchen, you know, back in segregation Mm. times. Like, like, what does that say? I never thought about it like that. Yeah. So it's like, what does that say? And then I said, you know, um, I said, then the other thing, what if you have an emergency in your kitchen? What if you have a fire Mm. in your kitchen? And we've been in here drinking all night. So I either have to, <laughs> you know, if I come into my wheelchair, I either have to let people help me down the steps or crawl down the steps or, you know, have somebody go get my crutches or like take my chances with a fire in your kitchen. Like, how is that safe? Hmm. And he just really looked at me and was just like, wow. Like, I again, like you, like you just said, I never thought of it that way. I said, so it, it's, it's yeah. still the... The, the segregation, the, what did they call it? Separate but equal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, like it's not cool. It's not cool to have us as people with disabilities using 
back entrances these days. Like it's not cool. Like back when the ADA started and you had to, you know, hurry up and make accommodations and make it, make everything up to code. Okay. But like ADA is 30 years old at this point. (laughs) Like, let's get on it, people. Let's fix these things because it is a, uh, you know, it's it's a form of a segregation, like for people with disabilities. Like, why do we have to go around the back and through the alley and, you know, just to get into a restaurant and then and then have to pay full price like everybody else? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's really, you know, it's really a shame that things are still this way and that it's still legal for people to do these things. Thank you for sharing the piece of information that I did not know about being black and having to enter through the kitchen and that is repeating history yeah. and that sets a bad precedent and is triggering for black people and mm-hmm. you know that's not something that I think about as a white woman and I'm very appreciative of you saying that I will say I mean, it's uncomfortable regardless of what color you are to go through the back. It is very, it is, it's a very segregated feeling. And Mm -hmm. there's a restaurant that I know here in Atlanta that it was, it had a Christmas pop-up bar in it. And the way to get through it was through the back parking lot and through the staff entrance only that was gated. And so someone had to like come around and open it up for you. And then like went through the kitchen and then went through like a black back closet and (laughs) came through the center. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, I don't, I didn't really think much about kitchen fires and we just had one of our really well-known Krispy Kremes burned down to the ground because it had a a kitchen fire. And yeah, I mean, to think, yeah, a a lot of fires happen in kitchens. So, right. Yeah, so that and that would be the only accessible way for Mm -hmm. someone in a wheelchair who was unable to get out of it. It's the only way for them to get out. So it's just like, what do you what do you do in a situation like that? Can you enlighten me and continue to share more stories about the separate but equal and how that impacts you as a a black man being disabled as well? Yeah, I think that. I I often have to wonder when I am either denied certain things or a lot of times I have the experience of people, people bypassing me to go talk to one of my Caucasian white coworkers. And I always have to wonder, is it because I'm in a wheelchair? Is it because I'm Black? Is it because a little bit of both? Is it because I am fairly, um, I'm much younger than the other people that I work with? Most of the other people, with the exception of a few, a lot of the people I work with are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So I, I work with a lot of older people. So I don't know, is it because I'm young? Is it because I'm Black? Is it because I'm disabled or a mixture of all three? The great thing is that the people I work with they're really good with referring the people back to me. So it's just like, oh, I, you know, oh, I have a question about this. Oh, you can ask Art Aston. He's, you know, he's 10 feet back that way. <laughs> so it's really, really good that I have that, you know, for whatever reason people do it, I have the support of uh, my coworkers and, you know, they 
definitely uh, refer people back to me. So that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that occurs with me fairly often. And even Mm -hmm. in, uh, even before the last year where a lot of things have been virtual, a lot of my work that I do has been virtual in the fact of, or uh, I should say technology-based, where I'm either talking on the phone to people or emailing people. So they don't know what I look like unless if they go to the website and see what I look like. So whenever I do show up, (laughs) it's kind of like, oh, Mm. your art. I'm like, yeah, it's it's me. So again, I don't know if that's because I'm using my crutches or my wheelchair or because I'm Mm. fairly young. And I understand Arthur is a very old person name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, but that again, yes, and, and, and it then, does have an old person vibe to it. It does. It has a very classic old person vibe to it. So again, so I don't know if, if the response is because I'm young, I'm black or disabled or a mixture mm-hmm. of all three. So it, it's, it, I think it's, again, going, uh, speaking of like stereotypes, uh, back to the disability part of it, where a lot of people have the misunderstanding that if you have one type of disability, you have multiple. And, and sometimes sometimes that can be true. Uh, for example, because I use a wheelchair, they think that I can't talk or that I can't hear mm-hmm. or that some other type of disability accompanies my wheelchair use. <laughs> and for me, in my situation, uh, that may be true for some people, but for me, in my situation, it's not true. I, I just have to use a wheelchair because my leg muscles are weak because of my spina bifida. And I think there is also a misconception of, I guess, lack of intellectual abilities, I would say, where they think that you can't, again, like you can't speak for yourself or that you're uneducated or something, anything to that effect in in that world. So so that's something that I, uh, that I have to, you know, fight quite often as well. So, but again, it goes back to what we've been saying about the lack of education that exists surrounding disability. So the work, again, the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing as well is uh, very beneficial and we are doing our part to make changes. <laughs> yeah, I I do definitely see and experience firsthand where people assume that because I'm in a wheelchair, I have other disabilities. Mm-hmm. One and then also, or they pigeonhole you into a very specific disability that they know of. Yes, through their lived experience or through a friend or something. And I often get asked, "What happened to you?" Or, "So you're paralyzed?" And I think the education that needs to happen is just because you use a wheelchair doesn't necessarily mean that you had an accident and now have no function of certain muscle groups. Right. For me, it was a slow progression over time. And even when I did transition to the wheelchair, I was still walking around my house for a Mm -hmm. while and then stopped that. So the other thing that you mentioned about how your coworkers point back to you, was that something that they knew in the beginning? Was that something that you had to educate them on? Or did they they just figure it out? Um, I 
they were very much aware of the importance of, first, the importance of hiring me in that position. So I'm the executive director of a nonprofit, and we build inclusive playgrounds here in New Jersey called Build Jake's Place. So they, I, I think they were very aware of what, very aware of, of what to do and how to handle those types of situations. And again, the importance of hiring somebody of my age with a disability and also being a minority. So I, and I, I thank them for that quite often, <laughs> for having that, that opportunity for, you know, getting into a position like this at such a young age, because it doesn't always happen. So I, I think they you know, definitely the, the people I work with, they, I don't know if they were aware that this would be happening to me, that where I would face, you know, those types of situations where people kind of overlook me for, uh, I mean, cause that's literally what happens. <laughs> so I don't know if they knew that was coming, but they definitely recognized it right away and did their part in correcting it and continue to do their part in correcting it as it happens uh, right away. That's so wonderful that you have such supportive peers in your workplace that recognize when they're seeing and experiencing those biases firsthand and they work to empower you. And that just goes to show you a really strong workplace and coworkers that you're surrounded by. Not very many people recognize those stereotypes and those biases, especially when they're racial and and disability-based. Mm-hmm. To their point, though, it is so. You, the nonprofit that you were for was talking about inclusive pr- playgrounds. You would kind of put two and together, right? That an executive director or someone in the high highest level has a disability, right? I mean, I don't think a non-disabled person necessarily would be just be an executive director of a nonprofit for an inclusive playground. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're passionate about making and breaking down barriers. But um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing those, your experiences. And I hope that we can just continue to educate individuals. And I think a lot of that comes with bias training mm-hmm. and all these movements that are happening with yes. racial injustice and Black Lives Matter and Everything that's getting a lot of attention is long overdue. And I think it, and then encouraging people to dive into all these different books and podcasts. And there's just so much content going on right now, especially with Black History Month. Yes. I've learned so much and have a thousand books to read (laughs) to educate myself so I can recognize these biases because I don't live that life being Black every day. And not to say that I would ever fully know, but it's important for me to at least be educated on the history of it so that when it does happen or I do see profiling, I can be cognizant of that. Definitely. And that's um, that's another clubhouse room that we were in on the Disability and Black History Month. That was another, another great room that they uh, have hosted on Clubhouse that we were honored yeah. to I was honored to uh, sit in and, and listen to some older gentlemen that were you know, I believe in their 60s that have disabilities and they went through things and, and experienced things of 
seeing how how the laws were getting passed and not getting passed at, at first originally and just uh being black and disabled back in the 60s and 70s and it's uh you know what what a time it was for them so again clubhouse is is great for uh, having <laughs> having really informative and educational conversations definitely definitely and to kind of go back to Jake's place talk a little bit about inclusive playgrounds and why cities and communities should be uh, implementing those? And and what is an inclusive playground for those listening? Yeah, so I am the executive director of Build Jake's Place, and we build inclusive playgrounds in New Jersey. So what an inclusive playground is, it's a barrier-free playground. So all of the surfacing is a non-latex rubber, which allows people with mobility disabilities to use their crutches, their wheelchairs, their walkers. For those who are blind or visually impaired who have the walking sticks, they are able to effectively use all of the surface area of the playground. There's no mulch, no gravel, no wood chips or anything like that, except for where they, uh, we have a few trees planted on our playground. So there's mulch around that, but all of the Play structure surfacing is a non-latex rubber. There are also ramps that take you from the lowest to the highest point of the playground. Yeah, the swings are are kind of like a bucket seat, so they kind of recline a little bit for those who have motor control disabilities where they have to lean back so so they won't fall out of the swing can also attach a harness to the swing if the person needs to be you know, harnessed into the swing for extra security. There are de-escalation areas for those who have autism, who are on autism spectrum or other sensory diagnosis where they can still be a part of the play experience, but they can go under and there's like a little work table there for them to oh, so still be cool. a part of the play, but to get away from all of the uh, sensory overload that might be taking taking place. There's so cool. uh, we have a, a great it's called a sway fund, so it's it's pretty much a boat that rocks back and forth. So it uh, activates the vestibular system in the body mm-hmm. and gives you that rocking sensation that a lot of people enjoy. I go on it every time I go to the playground. It's very relaxing (laughs) (laughs) to uh, just rock back and forth. And even on that, there's a bench, but there's a table in the middle that a wheelchair user can wheel under and the wheelchair user can, uh, there's like a a hand cutout so you can grab and rock back and forth from your wheelchair. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so you can use it from there, from your chair as well. So it's, it's a very great place we have two playgrounds that have opened already in New Jersey. We're working with seven townships to build seven more. Um, Oh, awesome. Yeah, we have, Jake's Law was passed in 2018, I believe it was, where it requires every county in the state of New Jersey has to have at least one inclusive playground. And Wonderful. um, Yeah, so our nonprofit is named after baby Jake. He was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, born with half of a heart. And uh, sadly, he passed away and his family created the nonprofit to do something in his memory. And they wanted to build inclusive playgrounds because that's where Jake wanted, uh, that's where Jake went to uh, do his occupational and physical therapy. 
But because Mm. of his disabilities, he was unable to get onto the playground because of the mulch and gravel that existed on, you know, your typical playgrounds. So uh, in his memory, they wanted to create a barrier-free free place where everybody can enjoy it. So we like to say we create playgrounds for everybody of every ability. And it, oh, wow. these, yeah, these playgrounds are so important. And thankfully, they are building more throughout the country and throughout the world. But they're so important because they are beneficial to so many groups of people. Uh, there's a large, for example, there's a large number of uh, wounded veterans that are returning from serving our countries and uh, serving their militaries around the world. And these playgrounds allow for a place where the adult who has the disability can play with their child who may or may not have a disability. There's also a large number of uh, mm. grandparents raising grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So the grand the grandparent who may be a little older may not be able to you know, lift their legs high to get through mulch or gravel that's on a playground. They have a safe place to walk on this type of uh, inclusive playground, not risk hurting themselves if they fall because it does uh, it does have a little bounce to it, the surfacing. So if you do walk on it, you can feel it kind of bounce below your feet. Even, even I remember the first time I walked on the playground, it kind of like freaked me out a little bit because I couldn't feel it when I'm wheeling in my wheelchair. But when I oh, stood right. on it, I was like, whoa, this is not stable. Like this, <laughs> this is like a real soft cushion. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it was a, a great experience uh, for me to experience. And I, I remember playing on playgrounds as a kid and having to get through the gravel and falling on the gravel. Mm. And, uh, it hurts. Yeah, right. It hurts. Yeah, trying and to And then you got little up. kids like, scrapes and bruises and right. breaking yeah. legs and arms and all kinds of things. Yeah, and I trying to pick myself injuries up. on playgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it was really uh, you know, challenging. So to be connected with such an organization that's doing such great work to again and and in addition to us building the playgrounds, what we also do is we go into these communities where we build and we raise awareness about disabilities and talk about the importance of creating such a space for those who have disabilities. And we always say the kids get it right away. If you go into a school and say, you know, Johnny who uses a wheelchair can't get on the playground because of the gravel or the wood chips that are there, the kids have a fit. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. How do we fix it? How do we? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He has to be able to play on a playground. We all can play on a playground. So once you get the kids involved, which is one thing we always do, it it becomes so much easier because they, like I said, they get really upset about it. Like, what do you mean he can't play on a playground? Mm -hmm. But and it goes back to what we were saying before. As kids, they don't see many other kids with disabilities. Right. Even in schools and when I was growing up, I think it has gotten a little bit better now, but they kept a lot of the kids with disabilities in separate classrooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we we didn't see them, you know, interacting with other kids. So, but then we're automatically, I guess, assumed or, or supposed to know how to interact with people with disabilities, even though we've never seen them mm-hmm. uh, most of our childhood. And and so it's it's like, that's why... I get stared at when I'm in my, you know, in my wheelchair in the store because a child 
probably has never seen someone in a wheelchair before. Yes, that's true. And uh, the yeah. kids are always, they're always fat. I have lights, red lights on the back of my wheelchair. They're like brake lights. <laughs> and they're, they like gravitate to them. They're like, ooh, what's that? Right. <laughs> uh, but kids, they have no filter. Yes. So they're like, mommy, what's that? Daddy, what's that? Right. Why don't her legs work? <laughs> right. <laughs> and exactly. I'm like, and I always like respond back like, "This is my superhero chair" or something like that. And they're like, "Whoa, I want one!" <laughs> right. It is. It's so, so. It's so true that kids have no filter. That's they so really true. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Fun times. How wonderful! Inclusive playgrounds. We have one inclusive playground in the city of Atlanta. And it's been around for a while. It definitely doesn't have all those things like you were mentioning, like de-escalation stations and vestibular system triggers and mm-hmm. uh, or activations and other fun swings like that. But we definitely do have some ramps throughout the playground and like their platforms that you can that a wheelchair could go through. Oh, good. Which is nice. One really sad thing that happened about a year ago was. And I, I wasn't aware that this was happening, but I saw on Twitter that there that the city of Atlanta built a brand new playground and put it on the west side of Atlanta. And the west side of Atlanta is there's way more black people over there and lower uh, lower income and don't have great sidewalks. It's it's not the most affluent area either. And this playground had wood chips. And and it had uh, stairs going up into it. And I remember I got tagged on the playground picture that was uploaded. And it was like, Carden, Carden wouldn't be able to go and play on this playground. Right. And I was just like, wow, that's a huge miss on mm-hmm. the city to not think of that. And I'm just wondering how we create that to be a national law that all playgrounds need to be inclusive. You cannot be building stared playgrounds, only vertical playgrounds without any ramps and any other considerations. Yeah. You got to work with your local city. I think that, I I think that's uh, the the word of the day is education and awareness because you know, and I'm quite sure that playground met the ADA standards of a playground because the ADA standards of having a playground just says that you have to have it has you have to have wheelchair access to the playground. To the yep. playground. Nothing about getting on the playground. <laughs> so Yeah. There was wheelchair if, access yeah, to it. So if on a, the sidelines. So if a thirty year old law is what the standard is, is what they're mm-hmm. still going by. They don't know. I'm quite sure they don't know that these playgrounds exist. That Mm -hmm. that it's a possibility, or maybe they do, and just you know, as you said, where they put it, maybe they just didn't think that it would, you know, that they needed an accessible playground in the lower income neighborhoods where a lot of Mm. black people live. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it's just just um, made me really sad. Yeah, it does. It it really does make you sad. And and again, I I like to think. Again, like I said, I like to approach a lot of things from the fact of believing that people just don't know. But at yeah. this point, it's kind of like you should because mm. you can Google anything. 
That's true. <laughs> you really can Google anything out there. And mm-hmm. like, I guess, I guess that would be like a parks and rec department kind of issue. If they're not up to date. Yeah, it is. Yeah. If they're mm-hmm. not up to date on the latest and greatest things that are out there for their parks and recs. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's an issue. Um, Going to have a conversation with our parks and recs. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely something that needs to be done. Actually, our, um, I don't know if they have it everywhere, but they have a League of Municipalities meeting here in New Jersey where you can go. It's actually held at one of the casinos in Atlantic City, one of the convention centers. And you can get everything. You find out the latest on everything from police cars and fire trucks to street lights. And the company that we use to build our first playground, they go to this every year. And that's how we actually ended up building our second playground, because one of the council women from a township was walking around and she saw like, oh, what's this? What do you mean an inclusive playground? (laughs) And uh, he ended up telling her like, oh, there's one like 15 minutes from your town. (laughs) And the guy uh, who works for them, Michael, who we work with to build our playgrounds, he connected her with us. And that's how we ended up building our second playground because of that. So you want to come down to Atlanta and build some playgrounds for us? I would love to. <laughs> yes, we, we can make it, it happen. Well, Let's no, see. yeah. Do you do you guys cross state lines? Are you real or New Jersey we have, specific? We haven't yet, but okay. doesn't mean we won't. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Just you never know with nonprofits. Some of them are regional only, and um, yeah. so yeah, that would be really. Yeah, cool. we haven't had. Um, I I don't think. What well, we did in Pennsylvania, we had an opportunity to, and then twenty twenty happened, and so uh, you know everything was kind of put on hold with even the seven townships we were working with. Before 2020, it's uh, everything got put on hold as far as their construction and planning and all of that. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that it all, you know, comes back this year and we'll be back to, uh, you know, doing doing good things, <laughs> doing some normal things. That would yeah. be nice. <laughs> well, our we have talked about a number of really wonderful topics from your disability, talking about clubhouse and rooms. Highly recommend anyone listening. And even those who are not disabled, join Clubhouse and listen to the disability conversations. Yes. We're having talks like what we are doing right now here on this podcast. And it's so important. If you want to be a better ally, start listening to those that are uh, at a disadvantage and yes. are often profiled or stereotyped and not given given you know a second glance kind of thing. And so, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, great. Art, where can people find you? And as a fellow podcaster, what is your podcast? All right. So they can find me everywhere at Our View for Life. O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. And uh, my podcast is called The Our View Podcast. And it is everywhere that you can listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I also put up a video version of each episode on YouTube. So you can find me on YouTube at Our View for Life. And yeah, I'm on Clubhouse and active on Instagram and and Twitter and Facebook. So definitely reach out and ask questions. I think that's a good good thing that I, I would like to say. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And at the same time, 
Also, don't be afraid to listen. (laughs) As Cardin said, you know, join us on Clubhouse and join these rooms and just listen and take in the information. And it's called the stage. So get on stage on Clubhouse and ask your questions. And people, you know, people are very receptive and we understand, I think, or, you know, we try to definitely understand that people are willing to learn and they desire to do better. And I think that's the only way we can do better is if we have these conversations and allow people who are not disabled, we allow them to ask the questions because they they don't have anyone else to ask. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to, I think that's a part of advocacy that can be uncomfortable for both people, the person with and without the disability. But definitely, again, it's the conversation that starts to make the change. And that's how we all educate ourselves and, and raise awareness about the issues that are um, that are important. Nice. Thank you so much. And one thing that I really liked that Lolo Love, she's a, a Black yeah. disability influencer. We use the same kind of wheelchair, so we kind of connect there, which I... I gave her a little holler. I was like, hey, we'll use her. And she's like, oh, hey, girl. <laughs> it was kind of cool. I had like my five seconds of, of fandom with her. Yeah, um, <laughs> she she said, oh, uh, what are, what's a book, a movie, a screenplay, a creative that is Black and disabled that you would like to elevate? Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um I I have to go with, I just have to go with my all-time favorite, Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I love him. He's just a great musician, great uh, writer. The songs that he has written are songs that, you know, that were written in the 60s or 70s and I still listen to on most weeks. (laughs) When I'm just sitting in the house, I'll just put on a Stevie Wonder playlist. And, you know, he was... uh, He's blind, and Mm. I just think he's a great musician. So check him out if you haven't. And I would suggest, um, I would suggest listening to by him either "Overjoyed" or "And Joy Inside My Tears." Okay, yeah, two of my favorites. I I will go and listen into those. I will say that I've probably listened. This is really bad of me to say this on public, but I think I've only listened to like one or two CV Wonder songs. So I, I need oh, to. I'm, well, I'm glad that I brought him up then. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I will be going and listening to some Stevie Wonder songs after this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'll see you on Clubhouse, the 15% room. See yes. you on your Instagram. Loving all the content, especially Black History Month. I love how you're elevating all of these Black disabled people. And I'm just like, well, this is so educational. This Thank is really you. Nice. Yes. And I'm, so I'm hoping keep to... keep it coming. Yeah, I'm hoping to continue that actually beyond nice. February. So... Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, you. yeah, because <laughs> Black Lives Matter all the time, not that's, just in February. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll ch- chat later. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Cardin at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.